This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. President Trump's push to reshape the federal judiciary with conservatives is likely to slow this year, as most of the remaining vacant seats are for district courts in blue states like California. In the short term, however, there's no slowing down the Republican-led Senate. Right after the lawmakers acquitted Trump on two articles of impeachment, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell went back to his quest of transforming the federal courts, teeing up judicial nominees for votes. And the Senate confirmed Andrew Brasher to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals last week along a party-line vote of 52 to 43 and over the opposition of Democrats and civil rights groups, including the NAACP. Brasher was the 51st Trump nominee confirmed to a circuit court. Joining me is an expert on the federal judiciary, Carl Tobias, a professor at the University of Richmond School of Law. The 11th Circuit was already flipped, so to speak. So how important is it to have one more conservative judge? Well, it is important in the sense that President Trump has been able to confirm half of the active judges on that court. He's had six confirmations, and that's incredible if you think about that in terms of how many appointments any particular president is able to make on a court. So he really has remade the court, we'll see. And plus, you're replacing people who are in their 60s and 70s with people who are in their 30s and 40s. And so it makes an enormous difference. For example, Brasher, I think, is 38. Do they stay on the court until they retire and when they're nominated this young? Yes, I think so. Most federal judges assume senior status and then, you know, take a half load. And many of them never resign. Some retire, but a very small percentage. And so you have judges in their 80s on a number of the courts around the country. And some of them are our most experienced judges. So it's a long window. And why not? I mean, you're taking a half load usually when you take senior status. Let's talk about Brasher, because he was opposed by Democrats, civil rights groups, including the NAACP. Why was he opposed? Well, I think it principally went back to much of his work as Solicitor General in Alabama, basically defending a number of initiatives of the state legislature. And many of them, at least the civil rights group said, suppressed voter turnout, suppressed voter rights, those kinds of questions. He litigated on behalf of Alabama, essentially defending them. And they were very concerned about that. But they seemed to find a pretty long history for someone who hadn't been a lawyer that long. And of course, the Republicans defended that by saying, this was his client, and that's the state, and your complaint should be with the legislature not with the person who defends them. And the 11th Circuit is especially important for election law. It covers Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. So how often do election law issues come up there? I think rather frequently, as you suggest, and large percentages of African Americans who historically have had difficulty voting as recently as this year, I think, in Georgia and Alabama. So some of the most important voting rights cases have come out of there. Shelby County uh, was one, which rolled back the Voting Rights Act. But there are many, many others. And that litigation is ongoing. Did he receive a qualified rating from the ABA? I think he had well qualified because, you know, he had served for seven months, and that's another criticism, as a district judge. 
Are there any other circuit court nominees? There is only one appellate vacancy in the country right now, uh, and that's in Mississippi. It's an emergency vacancy uh, for which Ozerden, a district judge, was nominated. But he's been opposed by two Republicans on the committee, and his name has not been sent back to the Senate. So it seems that either he has decided to withdraw or the White House has decided to withdraw his name So the Republicans will have to find somebody very quickly if they intend to fill that seat. And don't forget, Mitch McConnell has said that his thinking is no vacancy left behind. So anyone nominated he's promising will be confirmed. But they don't have someone right now, though there are rumors about who might fill that seat. And he was opposed by the Republicans as being not conservative enough? Yes. The two senators were Hawley from Missouri and Senator Cruz from Texas. And in his hearing, they grilled him on some of his cases where they felt that he was not sufficiently rigorous in helping opponents of abortion. I think it was a health care case. But he pointed out in the hearing that he was just following Fifth Circuit precedent. He was bound by that precedent, according to the judge. The two senators have maintained that they don't think he's conservative enough, and so they intend to vote against him. And Senator Graham, the chair, does not want to go forward with a vote he can't win. And so that's where we are. I've been talking with Professor Carl Tobias of the University of Richmond Law School about President Trump's push to reshape the federal judiciary. Let's turn to the district courts. So the majority of the about 75 current and future vacancies are in blue states. Explain why it's a blue state, red state thing for judicial nominees. Well, it's especially true at the district level because Senator Graham as chair is still honoring the blue slips. And so uh, if a home state senator is a Democrat and disagrees with the White House on a particular nomination, then that nomination does not go forward. There's no hearing. The process is over. And so those are more difficult for this White House and most White Houses to fill when the opposition party uh, has to agree. And so basically the Republicans have found it much easier when there are two home state senators who are Republicans to go ahead and fill those seats. And so that's a big part of it. And of course, The two major jurisdictions uh, that we see are California, which has 16 emergency district vacancies, and no one has been confirmed, though they now have nominees for all the seats, but it's doubtful they'll all be confirmed this year. And then New York has had as many as 16 or 17, and a number have been filled there now, so it's not as um, bad as it was. Um, But you might remember that uh, Senator Schumer is from New York and, of course, Senator Feinstein and uh, Senator Harris from California. And the president loves to rail against the Ninth Circuit and the uh, California district judges. So um, that may in part explain why they've been so slow. Um, So we'll see what happens in those major states. But uh, there are many other blue states Uh, that have many vacancies. New Jersey is a worst-case scenario, six emergencies, and there's not yet been a Trump nominee. 
And so it doesn't look like anything is going to happen there, even though they have only 17 judges. So they're pretty much underwater if you talk to the New Jersey uh, judges in that district. Let's talk about how this really happens, because Delaware has had two district court nominees approved. Why is there success in Delaware and not in New Jersey, which is an emergency situation? Well, because I think the home state senators, Coons and Carper from Delaware, um, undertook extraordinary efforts to work with the White House and find people who were acceptable to the White House. One was Colm Connolly, who had been the U.S. attorney for Bush, I believe, and a nominee but didn't make it at the end of Bush. And they thought he was uh, a fine U.S. attorney would be an excellent federal judge. And so they offered him, and the other person is named Narika, who was uh, a um, well-qualified practitioner in Wilmington. And so they were able to agree very similar thing has happened in Illinois. Senator Durbin has worked very closely with the White House, and they still have vacancies, but they have nominees for the few vacancies that are left. So where home state senators reach out and work closely with the White House, then uh, their vacancies tend to be filled. Um, and so there's some examples of, of that. Um, and I think the New Jersey situation is just... Uh, unfortunate. Um, I think the senators have tried, but nothing has happened. So then it's not only a problem of the Trump administration, but also the senators from that state? It can be. uh, But sometimes, for example, in California, I think that the White House did not reach out to the senators. And it's a big state, and they have lots of vacancies, and the commissions they have take time. Um, But Uh, they just haven't been able to move uh, to get the nominations. Once they get the nominations, they haven't moved uh, through the Senate. And so uh, that just creates uh, these huge backlogs. Um, And the chief judges of the eastern and um, central districts of California have written to the White House and to uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee pleading to, to have those vacancies filled. Now, is it true that no California district court nominee has made it through to confirmation under President Trump? Yes. It seems astonishing. Uh, It is when you have 16 emergency vacancies out of 60 seats. That's a a real problem, and many of the judges carry double the caseloads of judges in other districts. So you can get a sense of how, how bad it is in California. I don't often hear Washington State mentioned in with judicial nominations, but three of the Washington State's Western District spots have been vacant for about four years, and the average age of the district judges there is 76 years old. What's going on in Washington State? Four years, we can't blame Trump for that, can we? Yes, we can. Um, we can blame the Republicans for it before... Uh, President Obama had uh, nominated three people for um, vacancies there and well-qualified mainstream nominees, but they were held up by McConnell in 2016. And um, now there are five vacancies, and all five are emergencies, as you suggest, um, but uh, no signs of nominees moving forward. 
And I've heard from people in Washington State that nothing is going to happen till after the election. And so uh, they have very much a crisis situation in that state as well. Red state nominees take about 217 days to get from nomination to confirmation, but blue state nominees take about 412 days. And that's a departure from Obama, where it took 195 days for Obama's blue state nominee to be confirmed and 208 for red state nominees. So why is, why, what's the, how do you account for that difference between Trump and Obama in the timing? Again, I mean, I think that the Judiciary Committee just has um, not moved, uh, you know, because, first of all, the on the nominees, it, the White House delayed nominating from blue states, and they went to the, whenever they were nominated, they went to the back of the line. And so they haven't made that a priority. And so, for example, you have 16 nominees for those emergency vacancies in California, and no one's been confirmed. Um, and you can see the discrepancy. I think in Bush's time, too, it, it would look like Obama. Um, there was no discrepancy or difference between um, blue states and red states. Um, but um, this approach by the White House and the Judiciary Committee uh, has allowed them to fill all but one appellate vacancy um, and most of the red state vacancies. But the blue states are you know, disadvantaged and have been throughout the administration. Now, Carl, they they rushed to fill the appellate court vacancies because the appellate courts, it's more important what your views are, isn't it, than district courts? I mean, so these district court judges who do the everyday work, the trials, motion practice and stuff, they should be easier to confirm, shouldn't they? Well, they are easier to confirm, but there are more of them, okay? And so um, it um, you're exactly right, though. A, an appellate judge um, typically issues an opinion which covers all of the states in that uh, circuit's uh, states. And so all judges in, say, New York, um, Connecticut, and Vermont are bound by rulings of the Second Circuit. Um, but a district judge can't even bind people in his or her own courthouse with rulings. And so, as you can see, and the Supreme Court takes so many, so few cases that the Supreme Court for New York really is, in 99% of cases, the Second Circuit. And so those positions are critically important. And they just make more policy, cover more states. Um, and so... Um, and there are fewer of them. And so the administration is focused like a laser on the appellate courts, and they have been very successful. In fact, there haven't been that few vacancies since 1984. How many circuits has Trump flipped, and do you see a difference already? Well, I think we are beginning to see it, um, but I believe it's the 2nd, 3rd, and 11th that have flipped. But, of course, you have to remember in some of the other states that have not flipped, he has substantially reinforced uh, very conservative kind of perspectives of those circuits. And I'm thinking, for example, the 5th, the 6th, the 8th, um, the 7th to some extent. Um, 
to, and also perhaps the the tenth. So, um, you know, having a substantial impact, I think it's still a little early to see very many cases because it, some of the judges have been appointed quite recently, uh, and they don't have you know a full record um, and sit in three judge panels. But there have been opinions that have been important and. Uh, sometimes the difference on a three-judge panel is one of the Trump appointees, uh, and that will just be magnified over time. Thanks for being on Bloomberg Law, Carl. That's Carl Tobias, professor at the University of Richmond School of Law. And that's it for this edition of Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso. Thanks so much for listening. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show weeknights at 10 p.m. right here on Bloomberg Radio. <laughs>